Tonight, a disturbing glimpse at deadly hazings on college campuses. A new PBS documentary explores what these abusive rituals reveal about our desire to belong at any and all cost. Victims who could have died in pledging join us as they push to end hazing. Metrofocus starts right now. This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Philemon M. D'Agostino Foundation, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin, the JPB Foundation. Good evening and welcome to Metrofocus. I'm Jack Ford. Every year from 1959 to 2021, there's been at least one hazing related death in the United States, including two in New York in 2019. Despite being illegal in 44 states, it continues to be a widespread problem on college campuses. Approximately 55% of college students who participate in clubs, teams, and campus organizations claims that they have been the victims of hazing. A new documentary titled Hazing takes an in-depth look inside the culture and consequences of pledging rituals at American educational institutions. The film is making its television debut on PBS as the opener for the new season of Independent Lens. Here's a quick look. I love being in a Greek letter organization. It's a vibrant community, but membership can come at a heavy cost. We were taking well over 100 strokes per night. Push-ups, liquor, chug until you throw up. It's peer pressure in its rawest form. I didn't want to let my sisters down. You never should have to die to belong. It's our silence that's an act of betrayal, but that all ends now. And joining us now to talk about this impactful new film and to discuss the reasons why we continue to see hazing persist and what we can do about it are Byron Hurt and James Vivenzio. Byron is the director of the documentary Hazing, also a brother of the Omega Psi Phi fraternity. And James is a hazing survivor and a whistleblower who is featured in the films. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So, uh, Byron, let me start with you as the director. First of all, as, as I said in the introduction, it is an impactful film. It, it does what documentaries should do. It tells a story. It makes you think. Uh, it presents us with issues. It's evocative. And you did a marvelous job doing that. Thank you. I, I, I'm always curious about how filmmakers start their films. And, and I was struck by you opening the film with a quote. It's from James Baldwin, in which he says, Quote, the role of the artist is exactly the same as the role of the lover. If I love you, I have to make you conscious of the things you don't see. So what does that quote mean to you and why open this film with it? Well, first of all, I love James Baldwin. And that quote um, really spoke to me as um, a social artist. I consider myself a social artist, someone who creates art about social issues and social justice issues. And, um, you know, really... I wanted to set the stage for this film, um, that this film was being told by someone um, who was um, an insider, not someone who was uh, critiquing this 
this um, hazing culture from the outside, but from within and not in a way to um, tear organizations down or tear people down, but as a way to um, shed light on an issue that needs to be addressed that some people are in denial of um, and some people don't want to see or talk about publicly. And so because this is a film um, and, and a film is is very public by definition. Um, I I wanted to you know uh, start out with that James Baldwin quote because I thought it was a, a perfect way to enter the film. Yeah. Let's talk about both of your personal experiences because certainly your personal experiences frame what you think about these issues and what you've done about these issues. And again, uh, Byron, I'll start with you first, if I might, and then James, I'll come to you. Uh, so, so tell me about your personal experiences with hazing. Well, um, when I was a young man, um, a sophomore in college, uh, I decided to uh, pursue um, an organization that my uncle uh, was a member of, Omega South Five Fraternity Incorporated. Um, and I did so because of um, its ideals and what it stood for, um, the principles of the organization. And, um, and so, you know, becoming a member of that organization was a very difficult, challenging, arduous process back in 1990. So I pledged, you know, 30 years ago now. Um, that process has changed a lot since then, but there's still um, some, some things, some aspects of hazing culture that have lingered um, not just in my fraternity, but, you know, throughout the Greek system um, and even outside of the Greek system, sports culture and so on and so forth. So my, my experience um, was that of, you know, what what you see in the film. I mean, just a firsthand experience of, um, you know, some physical and, uh, you know, emotional um, hazing, you know, abusive hazing that um, I accepted at the time because I really wanted to become a member of the organization. Um, and so I think that that experience for me um, is what has helped me to create this kind of film, um, you know, that has a film that has so much uh, depth and nuance to it. Um, and that feels very authentic because, you know, me as a storyteller is telling it from the lens of someone who's both experienced it as um, someone who's been hazed, but then also someone who has also been a perpetrator of hazing as well. And I want to get back to you about that, because I think that's important. And that is, why did you stay? And then what did you do afterwards? But James, your story is a little different, not in terms of what was happening, but how you reacted to it. Tell us about, about your experiences and then and then why you decided to walk away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I decided to uh, join the fraternity because um, I, I knew a lot of people from my high school that were a part of it. And it kind of seemed like a great way to meet people at a massive school of you know 45,000 kids at a Penn State. And uh, my that kind of started, got the ball rolling. And um, being a, getting a bid, too, was kind of a big deal. Uh, only, I think, 30 or 20 bids were put out out of, uh, I think, a thousand students, you know, go to the house during rush. And so that was a big deal and something that I didn't take with a grain of salt. And um, I guess going through hazing, as Byron pointed out, it, it is a you know, very emotional. It is very mental. Uh, it can be physical, uh, as uh, you know. I definitely point out in the film and go into more detail about what I endured. But uh, the reason I guess I spoke out was I, I was very against hazing from the beginning of me searching for fraternities to join. I confided in uh, you know members uh, that I knew from high school 
and asking, you know, hey, does hazing still happen or is it just legend of these movies, you know, that we are brought up watching? And, um, and I was told it really didn't happen. You know, Penn State had a massive anti-hazing program. We were required to go to three days of um, uh, rush um, information seminars to, you know, better understand how anti-hazing this university is. And so that really kind of gave me confidence to join that, you know, I wasn't going to be hazed. But uh, once that kind of quickly, you know, that dream vanished that I wasn't going to be hazed, um, I started to speak out. So as I said, I was very against this from the get-go. And um, I went to the university three times uh, before they decided to do anything. And, uh, you know, that to me was... Um, really tough uh you know going through what i went through trying to go out and get help and you know being turned away uh during the process i went to the hazing hotline trying to get help and uh, my hazing ended up getting worse so i mean my experience with it you know was pretty bad and uh, that that is why i spoke out and uh, you know wanted to do something about it to make sure that another student didn't go through what i went through and to you know maybe save a life which was my main goal too James, what was the reaction you got on campus, among your friends, other people in the fraternity, when you decided, I'm going to, there's something wrong about this. I'm going to speak out about this. Uh, well, when I first did it through the hotline, uh, it was anonymous. Uh, no one knew. And immediately the text messages were, you know, we have a rat in the fraternity. Someone uh, is telling the school because uh, the school did reach out to the president and told them, you know, we got. A report that there was some hazing um and that was pretty much the extent i i feel like you know the university absolutely could have done a lot more to step in and stop it on campus uh when everything did go public i actually did withdraw from penn state um amongst friends i really lost a lot of relationships i did feel um uh, you know a lot of people didn't exactly reach out after the fact that i had known before the story went public but you know what? I gained a, a lot more, um, a lot, lot better friends, I guess, if you would call it. And, uh, you know, great people that I was able to surround myself with that really helped me out, you know, through a really tough time in my life, you know, going through everything. Byron, let me come back to what you mentioned, because you said this is you explained the reasons why you wanted to do this. You went through all of this. And and then you became a member. And then, you, as you said, you engaged in it afterwards yeah. tell me about the evolution of that thought process how do you go from being the the subject to it and being concerned about it to then being the one who is essentially now subjecting others to it how did that happen well you know at the time jack i don't i don't listen to james i don't think i, I was as self-aware um as james was you know when he was a young man um compared to my own personal experience um, you know, I, I just think that there were a lot of um, factors that um, that led me to to stick with the process. You know, it was it was a process that at that time was normalized. You know, people went through it before you. And so you, um, you know, sort of um, set set you set it in your mind that, you know, you had to accomplish what other people went through in order to be as valuable as they were, you know, as as strong as they were, as, as capable as they were. So that's one of the reasons why I endured it and stuck with it and 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 um, and saw it through, um, because ultimately I wanted to be a member of the organization. And even though, you know, during my pledge process back then, I did have problems with it. I mean, it's not like I just accepted it 
without question. I did question it. Um, but there's something that clicks once you become a member. You know, this there's there's something about this um, you know, feeling like you are exceptional on some level. Um you don't want people to just, you know, enter your fraternity without going through some of the things that you experienced and that you went through. You don't want people to get, you know, to get in easily, right? You know, when you had to you you had to pay such a high cost to get in yourself. You know, so I think, you know, that's that's some of what led to my choice to continue to perpetuate it once I became a member. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say that as time went on, um, I, be I became more and more critical of hazing culture, particularly some of the really hyper-masculine aspects of it, you know, just the physical violence, you know, the um, emotional abuse. Um, I, I started to learn that this was not acceptable, that this was not cool, right? And so um, what one thing that I tried to do was just, just modify my own behavior um, so that I was not participating um, at the same level that that others were participating in it. Um, but, you know, I was still I, I never spoke out about it in the way that James did, you know, which which is commendable. Um, it takes a lot of courage to speak out. You know, it takes a lot of courage to stand up in the face of all of that, um, you know, sort of masculine energy, you know what I mean? And, and, and confront it in real time. So I understand how difficult it is when people don't speak out against it. Yeah. I think it's important, and, and, and the film makes this point, that this is, it's not a condemnation of Greek societies of or, or organizations or even teams. Um, and, and James, uh, you, you touch base on this. Uh, just talk a little bit about the, the value. It's, put aside ha the hazing part, and it's a hard thing to do. I understand that. But just for a second, put aside the hazing part and talk about the, the values that can be gleaned from membership in a fraternity or a sorority or a club and organization. Yeah, well, I think there are, um, you know, a lot of value to them, uh, especially uh, when you kind of just look at how many uh, you know, very big people in our history have come from uh, sororities and fraternities. But I think, too, you get on value uh, more from that in the university sense of helping other people, uh, a lot of community help. Uh, at Penn State, uh, we had a dance marriage where it's raising money for uh, childhood cancer. And so there's a lot of things that really do go into frats that are good. And that is why you did bring up a good point. You know, uh, there is kind of a stigma related uh, for at least my story that I am kind of anti-Greek life. And, uh, you know, I, I'm anti-hazing. That, that's uh, the biggest thing that I kind of want to point out. I think there are great fraternities out there. I've heard many stories of them. I uh, of, you know, my friends that have gone through the process that was totally, totally different from the process that I went through. And it really was beneficial to them. They met some great friends, made great relationships. Uh, but, I, you know, you always have this cloud of hazing just kind of hanging over all the good that frats do. And, you know, that's what I kind of want to get to the end of this hazing and why it is everywhere you know it's not just fraternities as we touch on in the film you know it's literally everywhere it's in our military it's in bands it's in sports teams it's you know in business culture it, it's just pertinent in all walks of life and you know that's what i i guess i'm trying to figure out is why, why is it everywhere you know how can we stop this so these organizations don't have this cloud over them they can you know achieve their greatest potential 
Yeah. Uh, James makes an interesting point, Byron, you make in the film that this is not just fraternities, sororities. It's you know, it, it is the military. It is it's bands and theater and sports teams. It is so pervasive. Byron, one of the things you do talk about in the film, and and this is is it's always perplexing. Oftentimes, in reaction to these hazing stories, you see a sort of a lack of, of sympathy or empathy directed towards the, the people who would or ordinarily you'd call them victims. Why do you think that is? Well, Jack, I think um, one of the major reasons why people fail to you know have empathy for hazing victims is because people think that these are choices that young people are making. People are deciding to join an organization and they know what they're getting into um, prior to joining. And so this is what they get. This is what they deserve. Um, and, and also you know, people believe that that people have the option of walking away. Um, and what people don't really fully appreciate and understand is that it's not that simple. I mean, it's not as easy as just walking away. I mean, you hear that kind of um, victim blaming with like domestic violence survivors and, and, and victims, you know, where people just ask questions about the um, the the uh, the victim of the abuse, as opposed to pointing the lens on the abuser, the the victimizer in the situation. And so um, we really worked hard to try to develop, um, you know, our participant stories so that you actually feel for them. You you actually see them as human beings who were in very difficult situations and were faced with difficult choices and you know, who explained the, the reasons why they um, made made a decision to join an organization. And to be quite honest with you, like, you know, a lot of a lot of these hazing um experiences they don't they don't start out with like you know really abusive um behavior you know it, it it evolves over time and so before too long you're deeply into it and you have to make a choice of whether i'm going to continue and get out of this what i you know what i sought or am i going to quit in the middle of all of this and those are difficult choices that people have to make but what i really appreciate what james said is that he's he's bringing it out outside of the context of greek life and bringing it outside of the context of individual experiences and saying, this is something that's happening nationally. This is something that's happening across the country in various spaces, myriad spaces, sports, military, performance bands, you know, um, academic clubs. I mean, it's, 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 it's really prevalent in our society. And that's what makes one ask the question, what's going on here culturally? It's almost as if it's become ingrained in our culture. And that's, right. I think, the point you make, right? Right. And so and so I think the solution is cultural change. How do you get to cultural change? We have to talk about these issues, which is one reason why I made this film, which is why I include my story. I hope that other people will be open enough to share their own personal stories, right? To talk about it, um, to talk about it more. And, and that this film will be seen as uh, uh, an educational tool, um, but also as an act of leadership. Right. I mean, you know, J James telling his story, having the courage to tell the story, Brent McClanahan telling his story about what happened to him. Um, you know, all of the different participants who tell and share their story, hopefully will will give people permission to talk about their stories. Yeah. James, one of the things that is woven throughout all of these stories and Byron mentioned, I think you mentioned also, is is the presence of alcohol 
and the role that alcohol plays in this, using your own experiences and, and what you've learned since. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, alcohol is very pervasive in uh, the hazing I experienced. I mean, just from the start, uh, it was pretty heavy. I mean, very obnoxious amounts of alcohol uh, were being consumed and being forcibly consumed by, uh, you know, the pledges during the hazing or during the uh, pledge process. And uh, it, it definitely did evolve. I mean, don't get me wrong. It definitely starts off pretty heavy, but uh, the alcohol hazing does just kind of get worse and worse and worse and worse as um, the hazing goes on. And it's, it is everywhere. It is kind of ingrained in the culture at these institutions. And I mean, I rarely have spoken to uh, members of fraternities or uh, survivors of hazing that have said, you know, no, no alcohol was not present in our hazing. Um, so that is something that, uh, you know, kind of opened up my eyes is the amount of alcohol and you know, what that does to, you know, your mind and the thought process. And you know, that, that was the worst. The hazing when the brothers were very, very drunk was the worst hazing you would ever, ever experience. And it would happen very late at night. And uh, the brothers sometimes wouldn't you know, remember it the next morning. But I mean, that, that was the worst hazing. And that was coming from already drunk brothers. And I mean, it, it was it's pervasive. It's everywhere. Yeah. Byron, yeah, can I just say Byron, this really yeah. quickly? Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. I just want to follow that up by saying that if you notice in the film, um, you know, we make some racial distinctions between, you know, black fraternities um, and sororities. That that's and the question I was just about to ask you. Byron, I yeah, cannot ask you yeah. that question. You got us through yeah. nicely. Talk about yeah. those distinctions. Well, you know, James's experience um, is very different than my experience. And James pledged, um, you know, a, a predominantly white organization. I pledged a predominantly black organization. And there are some cultural distinctions to be made there. Alcohol was not a very big part of uh, my experience. And I don't believe that it's a, it's a big part of um, the experiences of uh, members of um, or people who pledge um, black Greek letter organizations. Um, there, there, there tends to be more physical exertion, physical violence, uh, emotional abuse, and um, and that sort of thing in black Greek letter organizations than there are in white Greek letter organizations. Based on our research, based mm -hmm. on the experts that we have spoken to, um, that seems to be pretty clear. Why that is, um, you know, there's, you know, we talk about that in the film, mm -hmm. um, but. You know, it's important, in my opinion, to make those racial distinctions because then we can adequately address the problems appropriately. You can't you can't you can't you can't. This is not a one size fit all kind of a situation. Right. You have to approach each different group or organization um, differently based on how they're experiencing hazing culture. And so for me, as a director, it was important to make those distinctions, not to make, you know, um, organizations seem so different from one another, but to say there are some distinctions that and nuances that need to be acknowledged and recognized. And how about with, with regard to sororities, Byron? What did you see in terms of distinctions? That is, it's more emotional and mental, uh, more about sexual um, um, degradation, um, you know, uh, emotional abuse, um, more so than it is physical. Um, I mean, you know, what we see in fraternities, regardless of race, is more physical punishment. Um, we see more deaths among white uh, Greek letter organizations. 
um, particularly white male Greek organizations or fraternities. Um, and so what I have been seeing um, recently over the last couple of years are a lot of alcohol deaths, as James pointed to. A lot of young men who are forced to drink alcohol and then forced to walk down a flight of stairs or they fall, they have some sort of tragic um, um, accident um, as a result of the, um, of the intoxication. And that's what leads to the death. That is something that's very distinct and different from Black Greek letter organizations. My understanding is that with Black Greek uh, organizations, it's usually a result of some sort of physical um, exertion, some heart issue. Um, uh, there's a lot of sleep deprivation. So you see car crashes, people dying of, you know, uh, getting into car crashes and that sort of thing. So there are very uh, distinct um unique differences yeah. got about two minutes left let me ask you each the same question and and james you first w what do you say if somebody watches this film and they recognize you someplace and they say you know i'm about to start as a first year at, at penn state or some other place and, and i'm thinking about pledging what do you think should i what's your response to them today uh, that's a very good question uh, it's really tough for me to me, it kind of varies a little bit as well from institution to institution. There are some institutions that have a really great track record when it comes to, you know, keeping fraternities strictly in line, keeping sororities strictly in line and giving kind of a safe atmosphere for these organizations to exist. There are others that are a lot worse. I mean, if a student was going to Penn State today, honestly, after my experience, I would try and shy them away from ever joining a fraternity just based on what I went through there. And um, right. that's why I kind of, I've never ever told someone to go out and join a fraternity after what I went through. I will be honest and say that I've never told anyone not to, uh, if okay. that makes sense. I share my yeah. experience and I let the person make let that decide. decide. Yeah. And, and Byron, I got about a minute here. And this is a, a sort of a bigger version of that question. What What's the, the message from this film? What, what do you want people to take away from? I just want to create awareness with the film. I want the film to be used as a tool um, for education and transformation. I want people to use this as a, a discussion starter um, for people to be more informed, more aware about hazing culture in general and what some of those distinctions are and those those cultural nuances are. Um, but I also want this film to be used as a um, as a way to help change the culture. I know that there are a lot of organizations, whether they're Greek letter organizations or not, that are working hard to eradicate hazing culture within their organizations. But they're having a difficult time of the members letting go of some of those traditions. And hopefully this film will help smooth that process out a little bit and, and will be used um, you know, by these organizations to help generate a lot of awareness. Well, it, it, it's an important film. As I said at the very beginning, it's impactful. It, 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 it teaches us, which is important in documentaries, and most important, it makes us think. So it's once again called Hazing. Check your local PBS listings. Uh, it is worth your watching. Uh, Byron, great work in putting this together. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. And James, great work by you in, in having the courage to step forward and talk about this. Gentlemen, thank you so thank much. You. You, you all be well now. All right. Thank you. Thank you.